want to once again welcome everybody here and thank you for joining us today for worship. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we want to um, especially welcome you and let you know that we have some connection cards in the, in the seat backs in front of you that if you take a minute to just fill out a little bit of information about yourself, we'd love to stay in touch. You can take them back to the Welcome Center, which is directly right out these doors, and there's someone back there that'd be happy to answer any questions for you and, and give you any information you need about our church. And uh, of course, if... if uh, for everybody else, don't forget that there's the back there that has opportunity to write prayer requests. And we want to pray for you. We want to know how we can, we can um, bring you before the Lord. So if you have anything going on in your life, whether it's just a, a personal struggle, your own spiritual growth, or maybe it's a health issue or, or some kind of a family struggle, we, we want to know how we can pray for you. And there are people that faithfully will pray, pray, pray through those. And so if you, would, uh, if you have a request, jot that down. You can either stick it in the offering boxes in the back or take that to the Welcome Center as well. Um, as always, there's a lot going on and there's a lot in your bulletin, so please take time to read through them uh, carefully and, and see what announcements pertain to you. I just want to draw your attention to a couple of them. We've been mentioning it for a few weeks now, but next Saturday is the membership class, so make sure you, you see Jeff Dice if you're interested in taking that. Um, we also have the work day coming up on the 26th, Saturday the 26th. Uh, that's from 8 to 3 here. We'll feed you, and um, we've just got a, a wide variety of projects, depending on your gifts, your skills. If you show up, we will find a place for you to be able to serve, and it would be a real big help to kind of kick off the summer by getting some of these things uh, taken care of and out of the way. You'll also notice a uh, women's ministry survey uh, insert there for you ladies who might be interested in being a part in that. Um, Please uh, take time to go through that and, and fill that out. And then um, also one on, right towards the, the bottom right, if you're, if you're looking at the trifold insert, there's also mentioning, a mention of a junior choir that we mentioned last week. If you're interested, if, if you'd like your child to be a part of that, um, take a minute to contact Sally West, and, and her number is in there. And lastly, I want to just take a minute and read you a note that was handed to me. It says, uh, thank you, church family. We want to thank you for helping us to celebrate Jim's life. Whether it was a prayer, a card, food, a hug, a call, a visit, or help with the dinner or the service, it was deeply appreciated. Couldn't have done it without you. Love, Connie Calkins and family. And I, and I too just want to thank all of you who have encouraged Connie during this time, and I want to continue to ask you to do so. Um, let's just take a minute and pray before we open up God's Word together. God, there is no place I'd rather be this morning than with your people, being able to worship together through song and through your Word, through fellowship. And God, our heart's desire this morning is that you get all the glory from everything we do today. And as we open up your word specifically now to study Acts chapter 4, I ask that our hearts would be just right in that place where we're receptive to hear from you. Because all of us, no matter where we're at, we, we need to hear from you. We need to be challenged by your word. Some of us need to be comforted by your word. Some of us need to, to kind of be um, slapped upside the head by your word. Some of us need to be uh, exhorted by your word. Some of us need to be convicted about sin in our lives. God, I just ask that your, your Holy Spirit, through your word, would have his perfect work in our lives today. Guide us as we study and as we fellowship and in the classes today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to let you know kind of our, our main theme today as we continue our study in the book of Acts is 
a persecuted church. A persecuted church. We've studied several different topics in the book of Acts, and as we come to chapter 4, one of the shifts that we begin to notice is that the persecution begins to turn up. And the Christians shouldn't have been all that surprised. Jesus told them in John chapter 15, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Those were some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. Not necessarily like um, using a lot of modern recruitment and advertising strategies as he's telling them, by the way, you've chosen to follow me. Lots of people are going to hate you for it. See you guys. Um, that was his, his reminder to them. Don't be surprised when the world begins to treat you this way. Don't be surprised if people turn against you for the commitment you've made to follow me. And such was the experience of the first Christians and many Christians down through the ages. In fact, Latin church father Tertullian in his work called Apology made this now famous comment. He says, The oftener we are mowed down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. You see, somehow, somehow the sufferings of some Christians spurred others on to more faithful living. The Apostle Paul noted that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Philippians 1.14 Though all the, ter- through all, all the terrible persecutions down through the early centuries of the church and even till today, the church has continued to go. Remember the verse we quoted right at the beginning where Jesus told Peter, that On this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to see how that is beginning to unfold here in the the lives of the early church and the early Christians. As we study chapter 4 today, we're going to see this persecution start to take off and it's going to gain steam in chapters 5, 6, and then it's going to kind of culminate in chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen. And then you'll see it just all the way throughout the book of Acts, all the way throughout. Christians getting arrested, some of them released, some of them executed, constantly, constantly um, being hounded by the authorities. And so today as we look at this topic, this idea, we're going to take a few principles away. And you've got your notes there. We're really not going to get to the notes till the very end. We're going to kind of just walk through the chapter, verses 1 through 22. We kind of walk through the chapter together. And then we're going to pull out a few principles about how this applies to our life, how we can take this home with us in our day and age today. So, if you've got your Bibles, join me in Acts chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to begin by reading just verses 1 through 4 to start. Don't forget, this is a continuation. There's no scene change between chapter 3 and 4. So remember, last week, Peter just finished preaching a sermon. The lame man was healed at the temple. He's walking and leaping and praising God. People are like, what's going on? Peter's like, a crowd, I'm going to preach again. And so uh, he shares the gospel. More people are getting saved. And now we pick that right up. Here in chapter 4, he's still at the same scene. And it says in verse 1, As they were speaking to the people, so his sermon's still going on, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them 
and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter and John are in the middle of their sermon, and it says you had three groups, the temple guard, you have the, the priest, and the Sadducees all gathering together, and they arrested, um, they arrested these men, and they put them, they put them in prison. Um, the, the captain of the, the temple guard, just to kind of give a, a quick summary of who these people are, the captain of the temple guard would have been, these are kind of like the, the temple police, so to speak. They would have been responsible for the maintenance of law and order. Uh, they held a priestly rank, second only to the high priest. So they, they had some, some uh, judicial authority, and they had, they had some clout behind them. And they were the ones that made the arrest. You have the Sadducees there. Um, Sadducees were an interesting group. The Pharisees' problem with Jesus was primarily religious. But the Sadducees had other issues. They were more of a political group. And they had other problems with the Christian faith. The Sadducees were the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats. Politically, they'd integrated themselves with the Romans, and so they followed a policy of collaboration. They feared the subversive implications of the apostles' teaching. They they were afraid, just just like many when Jesus was there, that that this was going to have political ramifications as well, and they wanted to put a stop to it. They didn't want their relationships with the Romans to be hindered. They wanted to make sure everything's kept along as, as it was. They wanted to maintain the status quo. And so part of their concern with the apostles' teaching was not necessarily doctrinal or theological. It was more fear of political involvement and how it might change the political atmosphere. Obviously, many of the Jews had hoped that Jesus was bringing a political kingdom, something to overthrow the Roman government. And the Sadducees were still concerned that that might happen. The Sadducees had their own uh, doctrinal issues. They denied the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they thought the, me- uh, the Messianic age had it happened uh, long before the time of Jesus' return. So they weren't even looking for the Messiah. That wasn't on their radar screen. So they really had, had some issues. And it says as they were listening... Um, uh, to the apostles' teaching in verse, um, verse 2, it says they were greatly annoyed. They were really bothered. That, that word there means uh, that they were uh, just burdened, that they'd been disturbed, that they had, they, they, the, the, the teaching had gotten under the skin of these groups of people. They just got tired of it. And it says, it tells us why they were annoyed. It says, um, because they were teaching the people, number one, they, they were kind of proud people. They didn't want anybody else coming in, moving in on their, their crowd. And then also, it says they were proclaiming Jesus as the resurrection from the dead. And so right off the bat, the message of the apostles, the message of the disciples and the early Christians annoyed people. It bothered people. It was, it was offensive. It was offensive to people. I want you to keep that in your mind because as we study here, we're going to realize that it didn't stop, it didn't stop them. They didn't intentionally offend. They didn't intentionally go out to annoy people, to tick people off. That was the natural outflow of the message they proclaimed. I just want you to remember that it didn't stop them. People are going to be offended at the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is clear all the way throughout the New Testament. From Jesus' own words, from the testimony of Acts, and the words of the the epistles, um, whether it be Paul or John or Peter, Our message is going to offend people. It's plain and simple. We need to be careful that we're not offensive by the way that we present it, and we can be loving and compassionate and winsome in the way that we we get the message across. But the bottom line is that there will be people who say, you annoy me. (laughs) 
you bother me with this message, this teaching of the Bible. And we need to be careful and, and compassionate and all of that, but at the same time, not, be, not back down. And we're going to see the, the apostles. That's exactly the route that they took. And so uh, it says in, in verse 4 that about 5,000 people at this point had gotten saved. So really the, the, man, the, the gospel's going out. Things are happening. It says 5,000 men. That word translated men can also mean people. It could also specifically mean men. So we don't really have a good, good figure a good count of how many have gotten saved. We've got at least 5,000. But if that literally means 5,000 men, could be twice as many as that when you factor in women and children. So there are a lot of Christians already. Remember, the Christian faith is only a, I mean, Jesus has only ascended into heaven. It's only been a couple weeks here. Very short period of time. And already at least 5,000 people have trusted Christ. So there's a, a revival taking place. Miraculous outpouring of God's spirit. Uh, pick up here at verse 5 and it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? And so Peter and John spent the night in jail. And the following day, they gathered together with all the bigwigs from the religious community. So all of these guys, the Sanhedrin would have been there. I believe it would have been about 71 members of the Sanhedrin. Uh, all of them were gathered together. It says you've got the high priest family. It mentions Caiaphas uh, and Annas. Um, I, just, I just made a note here. Annas was the, is called the high priest here. But at this point in time, it was more of an honorary uh, title for it. So he was like high priest emeritus. But uh, Caiaphas was the, uh, his son-in-law, and he was actually the high priest. Um, uh, Annas, uh, Annas still had a lot of power, though, in Palestine. Uh, John and Alexander, we don't know anything about them other than they were other family members. We don't really know exactly what position they were. So we, just, we know that we've got the bigwigs. They're all gathered here. All the people with religious clout. Everybody's gathered together, ready to figure out what to do with Peter and John. And their first question they asked them is, by what power or by what name did you do this? And they were referring back to the healing the beginning of chapter 3. They wanted to know, how did you pull this off? Was this some black magic? What, what, were, what were you doing here that, 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 that got this, this man walking and jumping around here? What, what exactly did you do? And Peter's like, hey, another chance to preach. Um, he's going to jump on it. And so that's exactly what he does in verse 8. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man is healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter's getting, given a chance. They, 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 walked, they walked right into the trap. <laughs> they, 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 they said, tell us what's going on here. What, how did you do this? And he's like, hey, it's not as big a crowd as before, but I've got a room full of people. I'm going to preach another little mini sermon here. And that's exactly what it does. It says he was filled by the Holy Spirit and he began to proclaim the gospel to these guys as well. He, he didn't care who his audience was. He would preach to, to people who had gathered from 
all over the, the Roman Empire in Acts 2. In Acts 3, he gathered people who were there around the temple that had, had come to see a spectacle, a healing. And now he's got the very people that he should be most afraid of in a room, and he's preaching the gospel to them too. I love it. I love the boldness of Peter. I love his courage, and I love his willingness to take a stand even when he should be on the, I mean, he should be on the phone calling his lawyer, calling other Christians to pray for him. Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth right now. But he doesn't, he doesn't do that at all. He steps right up to the occasion and continues to boldly proclaim the gospel. Each of us are going to be put in situations where we have good reason to shut our mouths. Where we can make a, maybe a little list. Well, I probably shouldn't speak up because of this, and I probably shouldn't say it because of this, and this person's here, so I know they'll be offended and really upset if I speak up. We can make excuses. Peter and John could have said, hey, listen, we don't know what they're going to do to us. They, 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 could, they could put us on trial and execute us just like Jesus. Just think, if we keep quiet right now, We'll save our skin and we can have a long, fruitful ministry. We can write Bible study curriculum and we can, we can you know, make DVDs down in, in the basement where nobody's going to see us. We're not going to be harassed about it and secretly just... They could have made excuses to be quiet at that point. And probably a lot of us would have been like, yeah, good thinking, John. Good thinking, Peter. Way to, way to be smart about this. But they took a step and they were willing to speak up even when they had probably good reason not to. Because they had a message, as they're going to tell us in a minute, that they just could not keep quiet about. They just could not keep quiet about it. And he emphasizes a couple of familiar things in here. He makes it clear that um, Jesus needs to be at the center of his sermon. That's exactly what uh, he's been preaching all along. He's been preaching Christ. He takes the spotlight right off of himself. Because they said, well, by what power did you do this? And he didn't talk about himself at all. He starts right in about Jesus. This Jesus, again, he's kind of he's getting in their face. Whom you crucified, whom you killed. He did it in chapter 3. This Jesus, God raised him from the dead. And by, by this man, um, by him, this man is standing before you as well. He didn't, give you any, he didn't take any credit for the healing. It all went back to Jesus. And we need to remember that as God uses us to do fantastic and amazing things. Maybe God allows you to be able to have a successful ministry. People are getting saved in the class you're teaching or, or you get uh, any opportunity to do something amazing for God. Don't forget, don't, don't let pride creep in there. Don't let pride begin to think, well, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have happened if it was someone else. Uh, I, I was able to communicate it in a way that, man, this person's heard the gospel a hundred times and they got saved this time. It was probably the way they heard it from me. No, 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 don't start doing that. Give the credit back to Christ. Peter and John could have started to pat themselves on the back. Well, if we hadn't taken the opportunity, I, listen, no, 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 no. It's all about Jesus. And that's what, that's what Peter wanted them to know. It's all about Jesus. And he, as, he, as he draws attention to Christ's death and resurrection, he says that oh-so-offensive verse, verse 12, he tells them, Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. This is a message today that will get you persecuted. You may not get hauled into prison, at least not yet in the United States. You may not get uh, executed for it like uh, Stephen is about to in chapter 7. But you will offend people when you say salvation is found in nobody else. Nobody else. There is None other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. And this is just a little sidebar. I, I get people that ask me from time to time, so do you think that if someone's really sincere in their beliefs and, and they've never heard Jesus' name, do you think God will accept them? And based on this verse and, and others, I have to say no. Salvation is found only in and through Jesus Christ. That's why this is important that we take this message out so that people hear and they, they learn of Jesus Christ, the name of Christ. Neither is there salvation in anyone else. And Peter um, is very, very clear and very, very bold on it. And so verse 13 tells us, uh, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, we, could, we, could, we could spend the rest of the service on that verse. These were not, listen, these, these guys did not have their PhDs. They hadn't been to Bible college. Um, it's not that they were illiterate. It's just that they hadn't been through the rabbinical theological training that the, 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 men, and the men standing around them in that room had been through. They recognized that these were just common people. Fishermen, tradesmen. But they noticed something about them. And that something, that common trait, is that they had been with Jesus. I hope you can see the application for your life and for my life. God does not require us to have advanced theological training, to have uh, a huge resume that just leaves people in wonder. Listen, I'm all for Bible college and seminary. All for that. But listen, God uses common people who have been with Jesus. And the fact that they had been with Jesus was evident. It was evident in the message they proclaimed. It was evident in the boldness. It was evidence in the holiness of their lives. And when you've been with Jesus... Other people can see it too. Other people can see that you have spent time with your Savior. No, we can't physically walk with him like Peter and John got to. But you and I have the opportunity every day to spend time with Jesus and worship through his word, listening to, to music and prayer and, and, and meditating upon on the truth of Scripture as we worship him in our, in our, in our lives that begins to be obvious and evident to those around us. And that's what, that's what these rulers had, had seen in Peter and John. They were uneducated and common men, but they had been with Jesus. And verse 16 tells us, um, I'm sorry, verse 15. Uh, when, they, when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with, this men, with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is evident uh, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in, uh, in his name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. So they didn't like the message, but they recognized something amazing had happened, and there were uh, a million witnesses, so they, they couldn't, couldn't squelch it, they couldn't deny it. They recognized something good had happened, but they didn't know what to do with them. They were baffled. They didn't know how to handle it. So they called them back in the room. They said, okay, just knock it off, guys. Hey, this was cool. You, you healed the guy, but just, just stop. Hey, we want you to be quiet. 
And, and you're going to hear that same message. You're going to hear people that maybe start off kind of nice about it. Just, just don't tell anybody. Okay, that's fine. You know, I can see this is important to you. Just, just don't tell anybody else about it, okay? Just, just keep quiet. Keep, keep it down. Keep it down. And that's what, that's what they had hoped would happen. But notice, um, they didn't like what Peter and John were doing. One of the reasons that kept them from making a decision or coming down harder or keeping them in prison was the people. It was the people. They recognized that the people would, would get in an uproar. And that's, that's what directed a lot of their work with Jesus. That's why they, had to, they tried to time the crucifixion just right because they recognized that for a while he had popular opinion and they didn't want the people to be upset with them. I just want you to know that notice the difference between the religious leaders here and Peter and John. The religious leaders were letting popular opinion drive the choices that they made. While Peter and John based their decision on what God wanted. You see that in the next verse here. He says um, in verse 19, I love it. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John let their convictions drive their message in the choices that they made. They didn't let other people's opinions, they didn't let fear drive their message. They didn't let worry about the future and the uncertainties of what could come. They didn't let those things drive their message. This is what drove their message, a conviction that they were proclaiming God's word and that they were being obedient to God. You and I, see, we're all accountable to God. At the end of the day, when the government asks us or, or leaders ask us to do something that, are, that is contrary to Scripture, we had better follow Peter and John's path because it is better to obey God rather than men. And that is something that we need to be very careful about in the, in the years to come because there may be a point where we're asked to compromise our values. And it's even happening in, in some ways in today's day and age in our culture. And, and I think it's only going to increase. And so we'll have a decision to make whether we're going to simply cave and try to keep peace and, and fly under the radar or that we're going to say, no, listen, these are, this is God's word right here. These are the convictions I have about Scripture, and I, I'm not going to back down. I can't, I can't let this go. I can't, I can't just ignore what I've seen. I can't help but speak about what I've seen in her. I pray that's the path we take when, when we come to that situation. And then um, verses 19 through 22, just kind of finish out the story. It says, but Peter and John, okay, we read um, verses uh, 20, 19 and 20. And verse 21 says, when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So again, we see that they, they, they threatened them a little bit, but they realized that they, they didn't have the, the people's opinion. They didn't have the people's backing at this point. And so they said, you know what? Just get out of here. Just get out of here. As we think about persecution, and being persecuted from our faith, for our faith, it's, it's on a totally different level than what's going to be happening here in Acts. Okay, that we don't, we don't have to live in fear as so many other Christians this morning around the world do. 
that armed guards are going to kick down the doors and drag us off to prison. We don't live in fear of, of, of someone coming into our house in the middle of the night and, and dragging, uh, dragging one of our family members off to some prison camp far in the north that we never hear from or see, see them again. That, that happens today. We do face persecution, and I, I think it's only going to increase in the years to come. And there's just a couple principles from this passage that I want to write. If you're making notes there um, in the handout, just write these down. Um, first of all, note that from this passage, persecution isn't fair. Persecution isn't fair. Um, we have a lot of rights in this country. We have a lot of rights. And there may come a day when those rights are taken away from us. I don't know. But um, notice that Peter and John, right off the bat, they were, they were hauled away and thrown in jail. There was no trial. There was no hearing. They were just taken away. They were not necessarily treated the same as, as other people in the region. But because of the public nature of things and because the message was so offensive, they were just hauled away. There was no trial, no nothing. And, and we're going to see that with Stephen in chapter 7. Stephen was stoned without a trial. There, was no, there were no formal proceedings. He was, just, he was just killed. Jesus' trial was, was a joke of a trial. It was thrown together in the middle of the night under secrecy. We need to remember that persecution is not fair. And, and while we, you know, I think it's fine and great to keep fighting for our rights, but just know that there are times when God calls us to take a stand for our faith. And we won't be able to look around and say, well, you're not treating that group the same way. And what about this group over here? It's just how it goes when we choose to take a stand for Christ. We will not be treated the same as others because Jesus' message is extra offensive. When you trusted in Christ, you bought into uh, the offensive religion. I don't know if you knew that or not. I don't, I don't like that word religion, but you, brought, you began to follow Jesus and he promised that that's what would happen, that people would be, would be upset with you and they would hate you for following him. So just remember that persecution is not, not necessarily fair. Second, secondly, persecution is normal. Persecution is normal. Gonna throw these up there. <clears throat> Persecution is normal, and there's a few verses in, in Scripture that um, they kind of just point this out. In Second Timothy three twelve, it says, "All who desire to live go- a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." Man, I don't know if you've ever seen that verse before, but it's just a reminder that when you when you choose to live a holy and godly life, when you're doing what's right, there will be people that will hate you for it. Don't slip into a mentality where you begin to get angry with God saying, God, I'm doing what you want. Why is this happening? Don't do that. Because he's, he, that's an indication that you are doing what he wants. You are living holy life. You are following him. Is when persecution is, is hot on your tails. Secondly, Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, just so you know, it's, it's good, it's, it's okay. In fact, you are blessed because you know that you're being faithful and obedient to me. This is what they did to the prophets. This is what they to Jesus, and this is what they're going to do to you. You're blessed by being faithful. And then lastly, Peter 
mentioned in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you as, as though it were a strange, something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may, be re- you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised when the heat gets turned up. And again, for most of us, this is going to look like someone not talking to us at a family gathering. This might look like um, a child who walks away from Christ and, and ridicules us on Facebook. Uh, this might look like um, coworkers at work snickering about you behind their back. We're, we're, we're not having a whole lot of guns put to our head. We're not having a whole lot of unlawful imprisonment at this stage in American Christianity. But persecution is there, and we need to be willing to take a stand in whatever shape that's going to take in our life. Thirdly, persecution comes when you stick by your convictions. Persecution comes when you stick by your convictions. We will all face opportunities to back down. And we probably have all done that at different times. We've all uh, given in when we should have stood up. And Peter and John stood stood by their guns. When they were called to account, they said, listen, whether, it's, whether you think it's right or not, we can't but help talk about what we've seen and heard. And I, I read a story this week about Frederick the Great. It said once he, uh, he called all of his generals together and, and one of them, whose name was Hans von Zieten, had duties to perform at his church that night and uh, a communion to participate in. And so he refused to come. Later, he was again invited to dine with all the generals and Frederick the Great. And on that occasion, they all made light of him and joked about his religious duties and having to go to the Lord's Supper. Von Zieten stood and said it, it, to his intimidating ruler, My Lord, there is a greater king than you, a king to whom I have sworn allegiance even unto death. I am a Christian man, and I cannot sit quietly as the Lord's name is dishonored, his character belittled, and his cause subjected to ridicule. With your permission, I shall withdraw. There was silence because the generals knew that such a daring act could mean death for von Zieten. But Frederick the Great was so struck by his courage that he begged him to stay and promised him that he would never again demean those sacred things. May we have that same kind of faith. May we have that same willingness to take a stand even when we don't know how it's going to turn out. Fourthly, persecution is occasionally halted by our good works. I struggled with how to, how to word this, but I saw this in the text because Peter and John got to go. <laughs> they were set free. That's not going to be the same case with Stephen in chapter 7. And for countless thousands and thousands and thousands of other Christians who have died for their faith down throughout the centuries. But sometimes, by our willingness to take a stand, people like Frederick the Great and these rulers here in chapter 4, some of them are going to say, you know what? Wow, I appreciate that stand. And there may be some, even unbelievers, who will respect our courage enough to back down. Just be encouraged by that, that sometimes God allows persecution to be stopped Because someone was willing to take a stand and say, no, I'm going to be faithful here to Jesus. There will be people that will look around and say, I admire that. 
I admire that, and it may bring others to Christ. And then lastly, persecution doesn't stop what God's doing. Persecution will not, cannot stop God's work in the world. Persecution will not stop what God's doing. And I just, as I was reading through Acts, a couple of verses jumped out at me. Acts 12.24 says, The word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 13.49 says, The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. And Acts 19.20 says, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care what tactics you use. You cannot stop God's work. And that's a pretty awesome thing. Rulers, countries, nations, leaders, governments have tried for 2,000 years to stamp out the Christian faith. And you know what? It cannot be be, be done. And do you want to know why? Because God said it wouldn't. And what God wants, God gets. Acts Acts 46 it's two, uh, three verses here in Acts 46, Acts 46, 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. We have a God that is so big that governments and people who hate him cannot stop him. And God sent the disciples on a mission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says, lo, I am with you always. And as they took that message out, all kinds of roadblocks were being thrown in front of them. All kinds of people wanted them to shut up and stop talking and to quit and to go home or to die. And yet it couldn't happen. All the opposition in the world couldn't stop the message of Jesus Christ from going forth. And I want to encourage you with that thought today. That when you choose to take a stand, no matter where the chips fall, no matter how it all plays out in the end, when you choose to take a stand for Jesus Christ, know that God is by your side and he is going to get accomplished what he wants accomplished. He is going to let his mission and his message go forth. And so I just want to ask you these three questions of application uh, this morning. First of all, are you facing persecution today? Maybe you're standing and and you've, you've got someone just ridiculing you at work. You've got someone who's just been an absolute uh, jerk to you because of your faith. But I would say, if you're not facing persecution today, I'm going to ask you why. Because he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you're not facing persecution from some angle, I want you to think about that this morning and ask yourself, why is that the case? Am I not taking any stands? Do I not have any boldness in any walks of life that people can't say, come on, you can't really believe that? Secondly, how are you handling it? Are you being humble and faithful? Are you being belligerent? Are you being a jerk back? Well, if you're going to talk to me like that, then I got something for you. Are you going to take the path of Peter and John and be humble and continue to point people to Christ? And like Jesus, not revile back when you are reviled yourself. 
And so for those of you who may not be facing persecution today, I want to ask you, what tough stance is God asking you to take today? Where is he asking you to plant your feet and say, I will not move? Is there a relationship or a a sphere of your life where you need to plant your feet and say, this is where I'm standing. I'm going to boldly testify to Christ. And I'm not going to back down. Acts chapter 4 tells us about persecution that began in the church and it continues to this day in all kinds of degrees around the world because Jesus promised it would happen. But take heart. Take heart. He's given us his spirit and he is with us and he is out to accomplish all that he has said he will do. Pray with me. God, may we be bold to take a stand for Jesus Christ today. God, I don't know where it is you want us to do that. I don't know what arena that is. I guess it's, it's every opportunity in every place. Anytime that we are, we are called to stand for Christ, we need to do it. So give us that courage. Give us that boldness. I pray that we would surround ourselves with, with people who are going to continue to spur us on. As I, as I read this passage, I'm reminded that Peter wasn't standing there alone. He wasn't by himself. I pray that as, as, a, as a believing community, we would surround ourselves with other people who, who would say, hey, you know, I'm going to take that stand too. I'm going to boldly testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, I want to pray for that teenager this morning that needs to be bold at high school. I want to pray for that person who works with no other Christians around them. And they're hesitant to even pray over their lunch, let alone talk about what they're learning in Sunday school class. God, I want to pray for that person who's, who's got a family member who ridicules them every time they see them. Give, them. give them courage to not grow weary in taking this stance. God, I thank you that, that we have this message that we can be sure of and that we can preach and boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.